ideal weekend would be, um, you know, three wins, um, mix in some good times in between, and, uh, you know, continue to swing the bat well. You know, I think that you look at tonight, pitching was great, defense was great, um, at bats were great, you know, so an ideal week, uh, weekend would be three wins and uh, go from there. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 5.9, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. That was Blue Jays manager John Schneider. That would that would be good times. You mix in a little, some good times, three you know, wins. You know what I bet he would do if he was having a good time? What's that? Have a steak and a beer because yeah, he's sh- such a cool guy. Yeah. Uh, Blue Jays take care of the must-win game yesterday. Again, n- n- not mathematically, but no. boy, spiritually, it would have felt real rough to lose to a guy with a career ERA uh, over five who was just DFA'd from the Seattle Mariners um, and to be swept at home by the New York Yankees. They salvage a game in that series. They're two games up on the Seattle Mariners who hold serve with a massive, massive victory over the Texas Rangers yesterday with a two-out, two-run walk-off <laughs> Uh, bases loaded double from J.P. Crawford, and it's uh, the first of three against the Rays tonight with Yusei Kikuchi getting bumped up in the rotation to to make this start. Um, Brandon Belt, you, you'd figure, is back in there. I, I, I guess you got to just run with the lineup that, that got you a victory yesterday. As much as I want to see Davis Schneider back in there, and I, I think there's you know a case to be made that this this lineup is better served with him in it going into the postseason, I, I think you got to ride the hot hands that you have right now. Yeah, you want to get Schneider some at-bats the rest of the way, but wanting to and needing to are very different things, and the only thing you need to do is get yourself a spot in the postseason. After that, the next order of business is making sure Kevin Gosman doesn't have to pitch on Sunday, and then it's everything else be beyond there. I mean, Belt, of course, you want to keep him in, seeing what's happened there. Ideally, if maybe you can give him a rest day on Sunday as well, that would be lovely. But yeah, you obviously have to prioritize winning these games, and I think just the way we have talked about the manager all year long quite honestly you're not going to see him change a winning lineup unless there are obvious obvious reasons to do so and despite how you may feel about schneider or not i don't know that it's obvious one way or another all right uh blue jays according to Fangraphs, 93.3 percent chance of punching their postseason ticket let's talk to john morosi of mlb network nhl network how's it going john Ben and Brent, good morning, my friends. Uh, we got a lot of great baseball storylines all around the clock last night. And actually, the one game in New York is still not done yet. So how about that? Yeah, that's a weird <laughs> one, man. It, it, it's not ideal, and and especially with those with no off days and and how close to uh, the conclusion of that game it was when when rain uh, interrupted it. Uh, maybe we'll get to that in just a little bit. It, it's hard not to think about. Well, the Blue Jays and and where they stand in the American League, but also that crazy American League West battle uh, in which the Mariners are on the verge of of being eliminated. But boy, if if you believe in momentum, the way they walked it off yesterday against a Rangers uh, bullpen that, yeah, is their clear weak weak spot, that that feels like uh, maybe a momentum swing. Like, what do you make of the situation in the American League West right now? Well, Ben, it's a great question, and I just came back from Seattle, so that was a pretty entertaining week of baseball uh, there in Seattle this past week. And at the moment, the, the still right now, I guess we'll look at it this way, the Astros continue to have a three, a magic number of three, to clinch a playoff spot over the Mariners, which basically puts the Mariners 
in in sweep range. They they have to sweep. I think uh, maybe they can win two out of three and hope for a miracle to get in into the wild card. But to your point, with respect to Texas, the Rangers could have clinched a postseason spot, not yet the division, but the postseason spot last night until that game unraveled on them in the ninth inning. And again, if all of a sudden the Mariners find a way to sweep them, then then things get interesting again. But this, it's, it's almost as though the Mariners are, if you envision it as like a seven-game series, they were down 3 nothing. Now they won game four, and they basically have three games left to try to keep winning all three to, to get in. Stranger things have happened. And the other thing is, to your point as well, the, the emotion of that game. And, and J.P. Crawford, who in many ways, if you talk to people around the Mariners, they would tell you that, yes, Julio Rodriguez is their MVP candidate face of the franchise, but J.P. Crawford is their heartbeat. He has been um, probably their most consistent player for the last six months, and so very fitting that he was the one that came through in a bases-loaded, two-out situation, literally the season on the line, and he delivers a walk-off with the with with the, the same scenario that everybody's ever imagined in your backyard or schoolyard, bases loaded, two outs, basically October baseball, and he comes in uh, with a huge hit. So it's a fun race. I mean, it's going to keep, I think, all of us up late watching games all weekend long, which is exactly what you want to do right now. Yeah, I was joking that, that somewhere, uh, well, I don't know where he resides, but let's just say St. Louis for fun's sake. David Pre- David Freeze got, like, awoken in the middle of his sleep uh, just as something weird uh, happened uh, with the Rangers uh, getting that hit off of them in the exact scenario that that he had uh, the big knock in, in the World Series there. You know, looking at the, the Mariners, it's funny. We spend so much time talking about the repercussions of decisions that the front office has made here. There was a massive one that the Seattle front office made, and I'm not talking about the Teoscar trade that we We've spent so much time talking about here, but it's the Paul Sewell trade, trading their closer. You know, how much is that going to be? Well, not how much is it going to be a topic of discussion. Obviously, it's going to be a massive one if they're on the outside looking in. But do you think there will be repercussions from from that for the front office? Or is it just one of those kind of learning moments or that, that front offices and teams will have? No, I think that actually that trade has worked out quite well for both teams, to be honest. I think you may see, who knows, both teams make it into the playoffs. I don't look at that, honestly, as, as being a, a, a huge negative on the Seattle side because they needed position players so badly at the moment. I think the, the, the real, uh, I think the, the trade that would have signaled a, uh, a, a belief that this team could not compete would have been trading Teoscar at the deadline, like a lot of people thought was a realistic possibility because Teoscar was playing better and the team was still somewhat in, uh, in a hazy position with respect to the postseason. It ended up being that they had a great month of, Ju- great month of July and an amazing month of August. But I, I think that was, more, that, that was one of those buy-and-buy buy type trades to me, Brent, because they needed position players. They brought in Rojas and Canzone. Rojas and Canzone have both helped. I mean, Rojas is better in the ninth inning last night. So, I mean, they're, they're both impacting the team in different ways, and I actually think both teams benefited from that deal. They, the, the, the Mariners, honestly, one of the main reasons why that trade was possible is they believe that Munoz can close, which he has done, and they believe that Kingston, Ontario's own Matt Brash is one of the best relievers in, in baseball, which he has been this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was more of a, a sign of faith in, in – the likes of Brash and Topa and Munoz, and also a belief that they really needed position players, and they're able to trade one reliever to get two position players, that's usually a pretty good move. 
Uh, talking to John Morosi. So the Blue Jays start a, a three-game series against the Rays tonight. The Rays officially eliminated from winning the American League East yesterday as the Orioles clinch. But, but you know what? Maybe we should start there. Like, what a story the Orioles have been this season, John. Um, the, the, the start was incredible. A lot of people thinking that they didn't have staying power. They've stayed with it all season long and, and a finish and finish atop the, the glamour division in all of baseball. I get, as far as surprises, preseason predictions and, and where a team ultimately finished, like wh- where does this Orioles season rank for you in recent memory? It's a remarkable story. And, and it's remarkable because of the way that they have done it. Uh, 100 wins in the American League East is an, an extraordinary achievement, as you documented. And the, the path to getting here is the one that I think everybody's going to be studying. You can now, we talk so much about um, the, the path that the Astros took uh, with their high picks and their patience to be able to then eventually win a World Series title. The Cubs had some similarities there with, with how they built from the ground up. And this is now probably the, the, the third leg in that triumvirate to, to really celebrate a team that, that built it from the ground up. And I think they have, they have an excellent manager in Brandon Hyde. They have made, I think, a lot of really smart drafting decisions. They've also developed players really well um, in addition to just getting the right guys. I mean, it's a, it's a two-pronged approach. That their, their drafting is excellent. I think their player development, Matt Blood is a really, really good uh, player development director, farm director that they have. And, and Mike Elias is just a, he's a brilliant baseball guy. He really is. Uh, and and he, I think when you look at this team, they really don't have a lot of high-priced free agents. They have not built their team that way. It's been much more of a methodical approach from within and, and trusting this really talented group of young position players. They brought in some select guys, you know, Adam Frazier, I think has had a, a positive impact on this team, but the, the, for, for, for by and large, this is a, a homegrown operation. And, and also too, I, I want to credit Mike Elias as well for, for keeping Anthony Santander for a while, because there were a lot of calls at different points in the journey to, to trade him and to say, well, it's, it's time to keep, trading off of our assets and, and getting getting more and more for the future. But basically, at some point, he says, you know what? We've got a good enough team. It's now time to start keeping our guys and adding to this core. And he kept Santander. A lot of people wanted him. He kept him. Uh, Kyle Bradish has become uh, one of the top starting pitchers in the American League. Um, the, the bullpen has obviously been amazing with Bautista, who now is injured, but then Cano as well. So just a, a great story all the way around. Tremendous organizational success. And one that I think when you have good athletes within your organization, you promote good athletes, that, that I think was the separator. How many nights did you watch the Yankees this year and they seemed a little slow and they seemed a little old? And the Orioles are not either of those things. They are young, they are athletic, um, and they are, I think, uniquely situated to take advantage of the, of the rules of the game as they exist now. So I think the big question with them uh, in terms of the AL East and a future kind of, you know, a future roadmap for the division is the question isn't the talent that they have there. And there's only more of it coming. We know about Jackson Holiday and everything, everything there that, that's continuing to come down the pipeline. But it's going to be the financials, right? I mean, we know how expensive it is to keep talented baseball teams together. This isn't to say that the Orioles never spend money. You know, we went back and looked at the 2016-17 payroll. They were up towards the top third of baseball. Do you think that money will be an issue there as this team continues to gain more uh, service time and which only makes them more expensive right it's a great question and I, I think that on some level it is contingent on 
you know, the, the commercial success of the team this year, how far they go, postseason revenues, et cetera. I think yesterday was very important. There was the, the new 30-year lease that was signed um, for the Orioles to stay in Baltimore. That's really important. And I think in, in any business, having that element of certainty will help the Orioles and, and the Angelos family, I think, make some, some more resolute decisions going forward. Um, they're lucky, to your point, that a lot of their a lot of their position players are on the relatively young side in terms of service time. But to your point, it inevitably the arbitration kicks in, uh, the, the the expense kicks in of having to sign a Rutschman to a multi-year deal, which I'm sure they'll want to do. So that there's there's a lot of expenses coming down the pike. I I do think though, with some playoff revenues this year, the having the lease now settled, it at least will we'll give uh, ownership a little bit more um, certainty of, of how to spend and, and strategically look at what this club is all about because um, this is something where I know there were some you know off-the-field headlines this year that weren't the best for the Orioles, but, but at the end of the day, talent wins, and at the moment uh, they've got one of the most talented teams in all of baseball. Sure do, uh, and they get to bypass the, the wild card round entirely. Good for them. Uh, the Blue Jays just hope to be in the wild card round, looking pretty good uh, as their magic number remains at two on both the Astros and the Mariners, and they they, cl- they can clinch a playoff spot tonight with a victory and a Mariners loss. But even if they clinch a postseason spot, John, there's a scenario in which they clinch a postseason spot, but the Astros also win tonight against the Diamondbacks, and there's still one game separating those two. And, like, playoff seeding, wildcard seeding is at play, which would obviously determine your wildcard round matchup. The last wildcard team would go to Minnesota to play the Twins. The second wildcard team would go to Tampa to play the Rays. Um, how how much of a priority should it be for the Blue Jays? Because we're, we, you know you say Kikuchi's starting in tonight's game. There's a potential for Hunjin Ryu to to start tomorrow. Uh, there, there's the potential to give some of these everyday players a rest. Like, how, should you prioritize playoff seeding if, in fact, the Blue Jays have clinched their postseason spot? That's a great question. I, I think first and foremost the as, as I heard you and Brent talking about as we, we came on the air, I mean, I think the, the number one priority is to wrap it up by Saturday so that way Gossman doesn't have to pitch on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, of all the priorities the Jays have right now, that is number one. And then there is a, there's like a vast, like Halifax to Vancouver flights difference ahead of everything else. I mean, that's, that is just like, that is it. I mean, that, that is what you got to do. But the rest of it in terms of resting guys, there's at the end of the day, I do think having your guys ready is, is, is important and making sure that they've got the rest they need. There is an off day coming on Monday. My, my instinct is that you play your guys uh, until, until your seating is, is ready. Maybe if it's a, if it's a game that gets out of hand, maybe you get them off their feet in the sixth or seventh inning. But I, I tend to think that you want to keep your guys sharp. And you want to keep them in rhythm. I've seen it far too often in this sport where you're playing, you get a good rhythm going, you sit for a few days, and then your bats don't come back. I, I, now, if somebody's got a legitimate injury, and I know Vladdy's been banged up at different times this year, of course, Bo has missed time too. If they're, if they're hurt, that's a different story. But if, if, they're, if they're feeling good and want to play, I think you play them. Uh, and especially now, you're just trying to get some lineup chemistry going now that Belt is back, and certainly you, you, we've just seen this week how important he is to the lineup. Not not for his not only for his own production, but just what he does in terms of giving Josh Steiner options to reconfigure the middle of the lineup and bump Chapman and Varsho down lower. I mean, the, it's just 
Belt changes the whole team. He really does. And, and I think that um, to keep him going, especially with all the time that he has missed, and as long as he's feeling good and Vlad is feeling good, I think you play it out with the position players, but then you, you just hope that, that Kevin Gossman does not have to touch a baseball on Sunday because if he doesn't, then he goes game one, and then you've got a pretty interesting choice for game two. I would lean towards Bassett based on what we saw last night. But uh, when you think about, again, this team, as flawed as they have looked, Okay, when you begin a playoff series and your first three starters are likely to be Gossman, Bassett, and Berrios in some order, uh, you've got one of the best starting trios of any team in Major League Baseball. Yeah, not, obviously Gosman not touching the ball is the best course of action for this team this weekend because he's ready to go in game one. I think the most interesting question from a pitching perspective maybe is what to do with Jordan Romano. Now, if there's a save opportunity tonight and he's the guy that helps you lock down your spot, obviously that is the absolute best case scenario. But this is your lights out closer and he has been, except for his last two outings. He gave up the homer in his last one and he gave up four hits for two earned runs in the outing right before that against the Rays. Do you think it's important for the Blue Jays to go out of their way to give him a get-right outing? Because if he doesn't touch the ball, you know, there's a week uh, or more that could go between him getting the ball in a postseason and him having got lit up in back-to-back outings. How do you think they should handle him this weekend if it isn't a super obvious save situation? Yeah, Brennan, it's, it's a crucial question. And I think that if I'm John Schneider, I, I want to get in the ball at some point in, in the next three days. Uh, I, I think the game, in, in a lot of ways, the, the, baseball is funny this way. Like the, the, the game will present John Schneider with a chance to do that. I'm, I'm convinced of it in some way, shape, or form, whether it's with a comfortable lead, a not-so-comfortable lead, if, if Hicks has to be used in a particular way ahead of him, it will be apparent. But this this is where... At some point, there is zero room for sentimentality. Okay, I mean, I've covered a lot of a lot of playoffs. I've been fortunate to do that, and the number of times that that Dave Roberts with Kenley Jansen had to think about what he was going to do with Kenley because he wasn't in a good run of form right at the most important time of the year, and times when he was closing with different guys. He had, I mean, they were in the bubble in 2020 in in the World Series, and it was Urias who closed it, and. They weren't really sure what they, what they were going to be able to get from Kenley. He had had that, that blow-up in Game 4 against uh, against the Rays and that crazy play that ended that game. And there's no manual to, of how to handle it. I mean, like, you've got a closer all year long, and then all of a sudden things start to disintegrate. Uh, and, again, it's just it's a couple outings, to your point, with, with Romano. But, you know, again, there was the added, a little physical ailment in the middle part of the season. So I, I think for, for the Jays it is of paramount importance that you get Romano the ball but this notion of having to delicately handle your closer's confidence at this time of year, this is, this is very normal. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this happens all the time. Mm. And this is why being a major league manager is not for the faint of heart. No, it's not. And uh, yeah, uh, if Blue Jays fans get their wish and Blue Jays are in the postseason, the, the, the stakes are only going to ratchet up and the stress is only going to ratchet up e- even more. Uh, John, always appreciate the time. Thanks for this, man. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the weekend. Baseball around the clock. It's, it is awesome. I'm just I'm so excited for what's to come and look forward to our conversation next week as well. And congratulations on the new show, my friends. Well done. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're, we're working on the, the John Morosi schedule, getting up early and, and limited sleep. So, yeah, we're, we're hanging in. Thanks, John. All right. Keep it going, guys. Have a great weekend. You too.
there's uh, John Morosi of MLB Network. Do you uh, think collectively we're as smart as a Harvard grad? Uh, no. No. Okay. You'd be doing the heavy lifting. I, gotta I, say. Yeah. It's really <laughs> just dependent on how smart you think I am as I've been sitting here slack jawed watching golf for the last uh, uh, three hours, basically. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I'm a hard worker and I can do some things, but yeah, school like that, Tough. that was never going to be my path. Uh, yeah. Same here. <laughs> University of Michigan and then Harvard. No, that's, that's, uh, that, I, not. I, I can't, I can't think uh, of a, a, back, a less likely uh, route for me. Yeah. Backdooring my way into the University of Windsor. Very quickly. I'll tell this story. I just called them and said, I never heard. And they said, Oh, you, you want to come? Really? Yeah. That's pretty much like, that's a super Coles notes version of it, but that really happened. I applied. I never heard back. And I just said, well, how come? And they're like, okay. And then I showed up and they didn't have a dorm room for me. Nobody <laughs> knew I was coming. And uh, guess what? Didn't finish school there. So maybe never should have gone in the first place. So yeah, that's a, uh, that, that's uh, wow. my bona fides for not me. And I don't, I don't know if me and John Morosi collectively equal the intelligence of Morosi. I don't know. Like I might be a detriment <laughs> oh, to him. I see. Yeah. You're bringing him down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's a but that's a good lesson for the kids out there. Never just, give up. Just just call or 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 play dumb. Yeah. yeah. Now I sound now I do sound like everyone's dad out there. Like if you want to apply for a job, go in there and shake someone's hand and yeah. hand them your resume. No, I didn't. Don't do I that. didn't realize that that applied for uh, university application. Who knew? Who yeah. knew? All right, time now for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian. Meet. So yesterday, there's a lot going on in Major League Baseball, and Morosi even mentioned the 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 Mets Marlins game, which is it's not over yet. Uh, top <laughs> Maybe of the, never going to end. Who knows? <laughs> top of the ninth inning, the the Marlins scored a couple of runs to take the lead on the Mets, and a very important game for them. Not uh, nearly as important for a team that has packed up the season long ago in the New York Mets, but it started raining. Um, the game is not complete and may have to be completed on Monday after a week in which the the City Field grounds crew is, uh, you know, maybe some lackluster attention to detail uh, after some rains falling in Queens. Anyways, that's not something to chew on. This is. Also yesterday, Bryce Harper called out on a check swing strike three um, that – to the naked eye at first, it looked like, oh, that wasn't all that close. And then, yes, upon replay review, no, it was not. Like, the, the, it might be the most egregious check swing strike call in baseball this season. And you know who made it? Angel Hernandez. Uh, shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Bryce Harper immediately starts stomping down the third base line, gets right up in Angel's face, obviously ejected immediately. Um, and then upon... You know, walking back to the dugout, uh, tosses his helmet over the screen and into the waiting arms of of a young fan uh, who I, I didn't actually have to wrestle some some grown man for. Apparently, you know, somebody with um, a brain decided, hey, let's give it to the kid. Bryce Harper understood the situation as well. Asked for the helmet, signed it. This is a great little moment for for Philly fans. Um, but then after the game. Gave his side of the story um, to the assembled media. You're grinding in that at bat, uh, facing a guy I've never faced before, and I get to 3 2 count. You know, take a slider down and in. Um, obviously, didn't go and wasn't even thinking about it in that situation. Um, I was taking my stuff off, and I heard the crowd's reaction. I was just like, there's no way. Angel in the middle of something again. I mean, it's just every year, it's, uh, it's the same story, same thing. Um, 
I'm probably going to get a letter from Michael Hill, and I'm going to get fined for being right again. Um, so it's just it's the same thing over and over and over and over again, and uh, just not right. Oh, a couple of things here. One that yeah, you you can so publicly talk about Angel Hernandez in so this good. fashion. <laughs> like it's it's the I, I can't imagine too many other scenarios in which you can talk about unofficial in any sport and everybody knows exactly what you're talking about and there is no dissension and two he's right i mean okay should you be fined if you yell at an umpire and they're right and you're wrong mm -hmm. maybe maybe there should be some leeway when you're so clearly right or maybe some lowering of the eventual fine that bryce harper's given i i am the last person that should be asked about this because every time and this will shock you where i'm gonna go with sheldon keith screaming at the leafs and the or michael bunting baiting the refs allegedly and everyone goes you know the refs have feelings too and i say uh false it's actually their job not to have feelings so right. i think these guys should especially especially if they're wrong kind of even if they're right it's your job to take it a little yeah. bit out there, bud. Like That's what a the money's lot of for. It. That is what the money's for. And also, just another Don Draper, also, I don't think about you at all, also, yeah. to the umps and the refs. So I am the last guy to be asking this. It's like, I think even if Bryce Harper was wrong, you should have been allowed to go over there and scream yeah. in his face and yell at him and not get tossed out of a game because you're, you're competing. You're allowed to be charged up. Well, and to that point... Maybe that's an argument to keep Angel Hernandez around because that was pretty entertaining. Like I, in a meaningless game for the Phillies, like at least we got something. That kid got a helmet. It was a great moment. It's a viral moment. You know, non-baseball fans are are enjoying it. I'd never seen a major league baseball player throw his helmet. That was cool into the stand. Like that was definitely cool. Yeah. So uh, for last time I saw somebody throw one was Lowry, uh, Brett Laurie at the ump. Yeah, I Not mean, really. yeah, sort yeah. of at the ground, but then he yeah, did Grey's Empire. <laughs> that, yeah, it, it's a little different. Uh, kind of reminded me actually of uh, uh, the Daniel Alfreds and Matt Sundin stick into oh, the into the, the I'm stand. Still upset about that. Yeah, but uh, no, keep Angel Hernandez around for entertainment purposes only. A except, you know what should happen? Keep Angel Hernandez around, except any game that he participates in, you get an extra challenge, an angel challenge. <laughs> and it also, it, it, you can challenge anything because check swing is not a challengeable call in if Major League Baseball. There, if he's involved. Yeah, you get what's called the angel challenge. So I once a game, if he makes a call that you disagree with, doesn't count towards your ultimate total of challenges i love it i uh i love there being an outlet in these games i i have long been a believer and even if we go robot umps there's got to be someone there to get screamed at mm -hmm. so, so maybe that colors my whole conversation about this maybe that guy mm -hmm. should be angel hernandez as his penance for everything he did when he was actually making calls maybe that's the way to go all right uh week four of the nfl season getting underway yesterday with the detroit lions I guess eventual beatdown of the Green Bay Packers two-score game at Lambeau Field as they have now won in Kansas City and in Green Bay. Um, we'll talk to Charles Davis of the NFL Network and the NFL on CBS. He's calling Ravens-Browns this week and another uh, divisional affair. He joins us next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Covering the Blue Jays from an analytical perspective. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan Ben Ennis and Brent Gunning. Week four of the NFL season getting underway in the not-so-frozen tundra of Lambeau yesterday. It's quite warm, I'm sure, in Green Bay. Uh, and the Lions taking advantage with a 34-20 to win to improve to 
and one with now victories in Kansas City and Green Bay. Let's talk to Charles Davis, uh, NFL Network, NFL on CBS analyst who joins us now. How's it going, Charles? Thanks for doing this. I'm doing well. How about you guys? Doing very, very well, as are Lions fans to start this season. A um, couple yeah. impressive wins to, to start their year after finishing so strong at the end of last season. It's one thing to make the playoffs. It's another to be a legit contender. Do you, do you think the Lions are in the NFC? I thought they were to start the season. I'm convinced that they're going to continue to be. And when we talk about legit contenders, I think it started out legit contender to win their division. Were they on the same tier as San Francisco, Philadelphia, Dallas? I'm not sure we're all there yet, but I am. (laughs) I think this is a good football team. I really do. And I think they're going to continue to get better. And it's one of those weird things where you always find a silver lining and a loss. Their loss at home to Seattle, I think, was that silver lining. Because it let them know, coming off the high of Kansas City, hey, we when we roll back out there, people are going to take us more seriously. <laughs> people take us legit. And when we play good teams, we can't make mistakes that are going to cost us ball games as they did against Seattle. So here they are now, feeling good about themselves, rolled into Green Bay for the second year in a row and put a thumping on Green Bay this time. So, yeah, this is a legit team that I think is going to continue to improve as the season goes on. Yeah, the thing I'm most curious to watch with not so much them, but the way they're perceived is the evolution of how we all perceive Dan Campbell, right? Because we remember the yeah, first yeah. press conference, he's coming in, we're biting kneecaps, and it's like, this is the this is the perfect head coach for a bad football team that's going to come in and just compete and try. But they're not that anymore. This is a real kind of winning football team, and I'm just curious to see how, how we perceive him as the year goes on. I also want to ask you about the team uh, on the other side of that game. I mean, Jordan Love, he's been talked about ad nauseum all the time. He has had to yeah. sit and watch, and it's been an interesting uh, start this season for him. He has had moments where you sit there and go, oh, okay, I see it. I see why they had to take him with that first overall pick or, or first-round pick. I see what he's learned sitting and watching from Rodgers, but you also have games where you see him, and at least from my mind's eye, I say, I don't know that he's any more impressive than these rookie quarterbacks who haven't been sitting and watching for, for three years. Yeah, yeah. I'll start with uh, you know Detroit and Dan Campbell. You're, what you laid out about the perception when he took over, there was a lot more of a snickering behind hands type of a thing. Like, wow, that was a crazy press conference, huh? Okay, he'll be around a couple of years. It'll be some nutty stuff, and then they'll get somebody else in there. Now, as you said, the evolution where this team actually got good, and what's been nice for them is the evolution happened on stage meaning they were the subject of hard knocks last year. And I think America fell in love with Detroit. I think they fell in love with that team. They fell in love with Dan Campbell. They fell in love with the staff, different personalities, all those things. And now that they're winning, as you said, the evolution is now, it's not, hey, he's the funny guy who said we're going to bite kneecaps and all that. He's the funny guy who said we're going to bite kneecaps and all that. And, by the way, they can legitimately coach. Now people are diving into his background. How many years did he play in the league? How many years did he coach in the league? Oh, that's right. He's the interim coach for a while with Miami. Oh, oh, he's a legit dude. You know, I think that's part of what you're talking about with that evolution, and we're seeing it. And here's the thing that I like about him. The same guy that you saw us talk about biting kneecaps and all that is the same guy coaching that team right now. Mm-hmm. There's been no change in Dan Campbell. He didn't go from talking about that to all of a sudden giving these most polished press conferences mm-hmm. you've ever seen. Now, flip it over to Jordan Love. The growing pains are going to be there. 
if you go back to Brett Favre's first year as a starter, remember Brett Favre was a second-round pick by Atlanta who dumped him because they had, said he had no work ethic and he was partying all the time, and we don't think he's going to be a great player. Green Bay, who liked him coming out in the draft, was able to get him. Don Mikowski gets hurt. Favre takes over, never looks back, but everything wasn't roses right in the beginning. We saw the flashes before the development. Aaron Rodgers had to sit all those years. His first year as a starter, they didn't go to the playoffs. They were below 500. Jordan Love's in the same position Rodgers was in, sitting, waiting, the whole deal, Mm. and taking over a team that wasn't quite as good. And by the way, his left tackle, David Bakhtiari, went on IR. So he's not getting the full benefit, plus a receiving core that's as young as, well, you two. Right? You guys are still youngsters running around. I'm an old man. I can't be in that receiving core. So all that still has to develop. So we'll, 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 I will have more of a judgment on Jordan Love by the end of the year because I think he's got to play through this season. Uh, and we'll see. And, and they're not in a horrible position. Obviously, had the big comeback against the Saints last week. Um, I, I, another divisional affair coming up this weekend in the game that you're going to be calling in Cleveland, the Ravens and the, and the Browns and the AFC North and and Deshaun Watson coming off his best game as a member of the Cleveland Browns last week, but I wonder what the bar is for him offensively, considering that defense in in Cleveland. Charles, the Browns allowing the fewest points in, in the AFC to uh, to this point. Yeah, and and that's helping him because he hasn't been the uh, the Deshaun Watson that they traded for, right? The Deshaun Watson that we saw in 2020, and we were going, oh my goodness. But remember, Deshaun Watson didn't play in 2021 a contract dispute. Deshaun Watson was suspended for the first 11 games of 2022 and couldn't be around the facility after preseason all the way up until he was able to come back. And then he played the last six games, and there's not a lot you're going to get out of that. He's not, he hasn't knocked off all the rust. Was he better last week? A lot better. He asked where the bar is for him. He is fortunate that defense is playing so well. He's fortunate the defense is giving him cover. But let's be frank about it. We said it week one when we were there. The bar is very simply Deshaun Watson has to play at a pro bowl, all pro level. And Cleveland has to win a heck of a lot of football games to justify the deal that they made. Especially when you take in all the off field that went with it with Deshaun Watson. And he's not playing at that level consistently yet. But last week was a heck of a good start for him. I know a lot of people have, have Dolphins Bills circled as kind of, uh, you know, one of, if not the games of the week. But I, I, the, one I'm maybe, game, yeah. Yeah, the, the one I'm maybe most curious about, though, Charles, is Cardinals 49ers. I mean, we know what Dallas's offense looked up looked like last week with all the banged up bodies they have. But I think that maybe is causing some people to be unsure about this Cards team, myself included. You know, I don't think they're nearly as bad as we expected them to be. I'm not saying I expect them to beat the 49ers, but I think that that's a real interesting kind of measuring stick game not so much for San Fran but in terms of what Arizona can be this year yeah and I think last week if you were able to somehow be in the conference rooms of the Cardinals with ownership with the new GM Monty Austin for maybe with the new head coach Jonathan Gannon after the Dallas game that maybe not only you're grinning because you won, but you remember all that conversation of, boy, they're making this roster as bad as possible. They're tanking for Caleb Williams at USC. They're doing all these things. Heck, they cut Colt McCoy and they brought in Josh Dobbs. They're really tanking, which actually was the absolute opposite. They actually brought in a player who had the potential to be better at that position at this stage of his career. Because Colt McCoy has been around a long time now. 
We've seen the best of Colt McCoy. Josh Dobbs hasn't had the same opportunities where you got a chance to see more of an ascension for him. They got better at the quarterback position when a lot of people perceived it as them getting worse. Hmm. So that is, you know, when you, when you look at it that way, are they a real threat? The answer is no. Okay, we're not – yeah, they upset Dallas, but no, they're not a threat. They're still going to finish last in the, AFC, in the NFC West. They should. But <laughs> are they as bad as people are saying? Are they truly tanking, tanking, tanking? The answer is no. Hmm. I don't think they win this weekend. Obviously, they've, they've got everyone's attention now after beating Dallas. But I think that they will continue to be a better team as they go on, as Jonathan Gannon and his staff get a little more imprinted on what they're doing there. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I think you're on track with that one. All right, let's talk about the, the best game of the season to this point in the season. It happens at Orchard Park on, on Sunday. Bill's Dolph, uh, Dolphins, um, the Dolphins fresh off putting up 70 points against the the Broncos also had a spectacular offensive performance in week one in a comeback against the Chargers the Bills after that disappointment week one uh against an Aaron Rodgers less Jets team losing in overtime have have shown their offensive might in in weeks two and three I mean it's early and and nobody's discounting the Chiefs who also put the hurting on on the Bears last week but is this at this point in the season uh, a battle for for who we can call the best team in the AFC it's a it's a legit conversation piece, that's for sure. And if Miami wins this thing, I think everyone will really go in that direction. Because when the season began, it was Buffalo's division still, but there's a lot of conversation about Miami. Can we see is Miami ready to take the next step? Are they ready to take the leap? We've seen it on the track side of it, obviously with the offense. The understated part is their defense has played well too. So Miami is really starting to become a legit deal. I think Buffalo is ecstatic about this, truthfully, because they've held the title and the front-runner status and almost have gotten to the point where we have taken them for granted. And here's the hot new thing. So all we're talking is Miami, Miami, Miami. And Buffalo's like, yeah, but aren't we still the team? Okay, cool. Come come play. Let's go. And by the way, their defense was pretty good last week, wasn't it? What they did to Washington and Sam yeah. Howell really throttled them. And when Josh Allen takes care of the football – he is truly one of the best quarterbacks in the league. It's not hyperbole. He truly is. We're done. You know, that's all it is with Josh Allen. Take care of the football. Don't turn it over in the red zone. And he hasn't done that in the last two ball games. Opening night, he did in New, in, in New Jersey against the Jets. Since then, nope, we haven't seen it. And when he's like that, look out because Buffalo is a beast. Best game of the year so far for me. That'll be this Sunday in Orchard Park. Buffalo and Miami. I'm really eager to see what Sean McDermott, the head coach of Buffalo, has taken over the defense, how they're going to try and combat the fast motions, the lightning strikes that Miami throws at you. Because when they're running that type of motion, they put doubt. They, they, when you go as fast as Miami goes, you put doubt in the minds of people on the other side of the ball because you're running with such confidence. <laughs> you actually go, oh, boy, they really have got this thing down. I'm eager to see what Sean McDermott's going to come up with to try and combat it or try and slow it down. Because somebody did, I forgot who it was, it was Peter King in his column had like the top five fastest guys on the GPS that they've timed this year. All five play for Miami. 
Yeah, it is speed, speed, speed. And, you know, it's funny, like I immediately go to basketball. It's almost like the pace and space, like heat teams they wanted, they wanted to have down there. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you just, you see it. And it's funny, like we don't need to spend too much time on this, but conversely, everything I said in the beginning of the interview about Dan Campbell and just continuing to be who he is, I definitely, I'll put my hand up. I had some questions about, oh, okay, Mike McDaniel, this guy who's kind of mumbling his way through all his pressers and seems like he's only half paying attention. That's going to be leader of men in the NFL, but he's still being that guy, right? Like he's being authentic uh, to to himself. Uh, Not so much the game that's interesting to me, but uh, a player and a team. Uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers. I mean, we've seen this movie for a few years now with them, (laughs) of Herbert just being so incredibly impressive and it's seeming never to be enough there. What do you make of what's going on in, in, uh, in, uh, I was about to say San Diego, but not San Diego with the, with the chargers yeah. there uh, and everything Herbert's been able to do. I mean, it feels like he's such a buoy for a franchise, but it feels like they should be getting more, not out of him, but with him. If yeah. that makes sense. Totally makes sense. And it's okay with the San Diego thing. All right. We're all in the same boat. If you're of a certain vintage, it's San Diego in your mind and you're making the, the transition while you're speaking, trying to get back to Los Angeles. I get it. Just remember it this way. <laughs> they began as the Los Angeles chargers before they moved to San Diego. Then they came back to Los Angeles. There we go. So maybe that'll help. Okay. Anyway, I think you're on target perfectly about Herbert and, they should be getting more out of this team with him. He puts them in positions to win a lot of games. Remember a couple seasons ago, they went up to Kansas City and he won late with a touchdown pass to Mike Williams? Boy, do I. Kansas City last year when they played on the Thursday night and he got whacked early and turned out he had rib issues and the whole deal he played through and they still had opportunities down the stretch to win. Their defense continually lets them down. Their head coach handles their defense. And that's how he got the job, number one defense in Los Angeles with the Rams. Yet their defense is continually the issue. And last week, the coach also with the analytics, and listen, I'm all for learning. I'm trying my best to learn more. I actually spent my offseason talking with with analytics people, trying to learn it better and trying to get up to to the century we're in because this dinosaur has roamed the earth for a long time, and I didn't understand any of it. But trying to understand why you go for it, why you – but there's also an element of um, you're playing ball, okay? This is football. At the end of the day, analytics play into it, but you better make some good decisions. And last week, him going for it deep in his own territory against Minnesota, he came up with a great analytical thing at the end of the day. They survived that one, okay? I never, No way you're convincing me that was a good idea, but they did it, somehow survived it. This is where they are with, with, the, with the Chargers, they have everything they need to challenge. They've got to find a way to actually get that done. And defensively is where the issues have been, and they've got to figure out what's going on there, why, in key situations. They can't get the stop they need. They can't get the position they need. Because Justin Herbert's given them opportunity after opportunity and not getting the credit for it, mm-hmm. right? When you think about it, guys, when people talk about the young quarterback. People put Burrow ahead of him all the time because Burrow's been to a Super Bowl and the AFC Championship game. But legitimately, as an athlete, as a thrower, is Burrow better than Justin Herbert? Mm. The answer is no. Yeah, got to translate into victory, uh, that into victories. Uh, Charles, this was this was a whole lot of fun. Thanks for doing this. Well, thanks for having me. Congratulations on your show, guys. Looking forward to visiting with you each and every Friday. Yeah, can't wait for it. Thanks, Charles. Thank you.
There's Charles Davis, NFL Network, NFL on CBS analyst. Yes, every Friday. Mm -hmm. Talk to Charles Davis. Again, he's in Cleveland. Ravens-Browns on Sunday. Um, he turned us into a couple of young whippersnappers in the interview. Yeah, I appreciated that. I, I was just, it was not lost on me that in the break, we were both commiserating about, well, I was complaining. You were just sitting there listening to me complain about my child never sleeping. And that right. does not feel like a young whippersnapper thing to do. That feels like a very old man thing no, to do. No, so that's why I appreciate a, a, any opportunity I, I get to, to have somebody call me young. Um, the... Miami Dolphins in Buffalo mm-hmm. game this weekend. Of course, yeah, game of the year uh, in this very early NFL Taylor Swift's not even be there, though, so. Yeah, does it even happen? That, why would it even occur? Yeah. yeah. Um, and the Dolphins clearly <laughs> the, the, the most interesting team in the NFL, I think, to this point. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Considering the offensive exploits of Tua and the 70-point beatdown mm-hmm. that they put on Denver cool last week. flip pass. Yeah. They have played two of the worst defenses in the NFL mm-hmm. in their three games, right? Oh, it's like, not lost on me. Yeah. No, they open up the season just barely getting by with an incredible offensive performance from Tua and and all those wide receivers and Tyreek Hill mm-hmm. um, against that horrible Chargers defense. They yep. did enough to win against the Patriots in, in week two. And then I think at the end of the day, the Broncos are going to be viewed yeah. as one of the worst teams in the nfl so we'll see what they do against a team in the real team yeah a real real football team in in the buffalo bills who uh outside of yeah the josh allen stefan diggs of it all is a pretty formidable defense it's playing pretty well right now too yeah very much so and the like you said the patriots you know i think uh there's still time for the jury to kind of form on that but that's going to be likely a top 10 defense in the Mm -hmm. nfl this year thereabouts and oh look at that the dolphins didn't put up a kajillion points and they only won by one score so yeah i'm very curious to see uh the other one and maybe this is as good a time as any to transition to uh to the wake and rake here i always get interested and i never know what to do with it but just in massive spreads the 49ers are 14 point favorites at home against the cards personally i'm just not touching it but i'm always curious how other people feel about these things yeah i I think well it's especially interesting that the cardinals are coming off that victory Mm -hmm. over the the dallas cowboys still get no respect and still getting <laughs> no respects. Uh, what would that line? What did they have that yeah. line preset at? No, it's a true. week and a half ago. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but uh, other side of the the coin maybe is that for a team with such limited expectations coming into this year, maybe a spot for a letdown mm, after big, coming big up trap with, game. Yeah, uh, coming off their what might at the end of the day be their biggest win of the season against a Cowboys team that before that loss we were talking about as being pretty close to the the level that the 49ers are uh, in the NFC. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I could see, I guess, the, the let down there. Yeah, first, first ever trap game against the second best team in your conference? Yeah. Probably, right? <laughs> I think let so. Letdown. It's not a trap game. It's a letdown uh, okay. game. I Brett. was the one who dumbly called it a trap game. I will put that all, all on myself. Uh, and then just the, in terms of Jays for, for tonight, mm-hmm. uh, looking at it, I just don't know how you can go anywhere other than over under with this Jays team. It's been yeah. set at seven and a half for tonight over minus one fifteen under minus one Oh five. If you just like the Jays straight up minus one forty nine on the, uh, on the money line there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Jays, um, 
minus one and a half on the run line hit mm. yesterday against the the Yankees. Yeah, the they over, didn't score any. No, they did. Yeah, the Yankees scored no runs. Uh, so the the total only hitting six, uh, where we needed eight and a half. I, last thing for me, mm. Wake and Reich. Yeah, Bills Dolphins, and I, I just mentioned Bills yeah. defense a lot better than what the the Broncos posed for that Dolphins team. Total there set at fifty three and a half. I know this feels like the most public play of all time, but how do you not hammer the over there? These mm. two teams combining for 61 points in week 15 last season. Weather, it's sometimes a, a concern in Orchard Park, not this no. weekend. It's going to be gorgeous. It's going to oh. be like summer-like around here the next week or so. And we know Josh Allen can't help himself in a shootout, right? Like, that's the 100%. thing about Allen is, like, can yeah. he help himself? Yeah. If, it's a, <laughs> if it's a tight game, and it, yeah, sure. But once things start flying, mm-hmm. he's just a big puppy dog out there. He's like, I want to run. I want to mm-hmm. run wild. Let's mm-hmm. go. So, yeah, I love, uh, I love the over there as well. Uh, and, yeah, just the two teams coming off, and even with the super juice number. And, uh, you know, I know the, the Bills D is okay. I don't know how great the uh, Dolphins D is, and I think we'll find that out this weekend. So I can't wait. Yeah, it uh, should be a fun one. Uh, Maple Leafs still have, what, five uh, more preseason, five more preseason games to go before they crank it up for real uh, on October 11th. How about this for a guest? We'll talk to Toronto Maple Leafs legend Wendell Clark next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.